everybody. This is Wendy Murdoch with Webinars with Wendy. Today I'm going to be talking about Surefoot Equine Pads and how to use them. Um, we get a lot of questions, uh, particularly about in the beginning. So I'm going to do some review and then I have a couple of interesting horses, some videos and, and still pictures that I'd like to talk about. So um, just, just to get started, for anybody who's unfamiliar with Surefoot, basically this is something I discovered in 2012. Um, it was a experiment that worked out really, really well. Um, and in many ways, it has changed the, my life and also the lives of a lot of horses around the world. So in 2012, I put the first horse on a pad and it was a result of the horse being lame from a change in saddle. I had a conversation with Dr. Joyce Harmon the night before. She wanted to stand at her computer instead of sit. And so she was looking for a pad to stand on. And while we were talking about this, she told me how they were putting dogs on different types of um, uh, air-filled objects to improve their proprioception, rehab from uh, like cruciate ligament surgery and things like that. And as I watched the dogs, I thought about this horse that was lame in the right hind leg as a result of a saddle change. The saddle was crooked and it had put pressure on the right corner of his back um, and it showed up in his right hind leg. And so as I watched the dogs and listened to Joyce, I just thought, well, I wonder if this would work for a horse. And so I grabbed something out of my shed and I drove to the lesson and I stuck the pad underneath the horse's foot and Joyce had told me to time it for 15 seconds, which I did. And the horse walked off sound in 15 seconds, which was just absolutely mind blowing. Um, and so that was the beginning of Surefoot, was a happy, you know, a little experiment without any anticipated outcome but with amazing results. And so yesterday I had the privilege of going up to Lending Gray's Dressage for Kids and doing a little Surefoot demo for Lending Gray and for the kids that are in her program. Um, I was invited up by Anna to uh, New Jersey where they were hosting Lendon. And um, we got to work with Anna's horse who was just delightful. Unfortunately, we didn't take any pictures. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, been, I've been doing this now for over eight years and it's this repeating result that we see over and over again that has been actually um, such an amazing thing for me to see. And that when we offer the horse an opportunity to experience itself, to become self-aware, to feel its own body and to recognize its habits, the horses change. And they can change rapidly and it's consistent. Um, it's not 100%. Nothing is. Not, there isn't a magic pill for everything. But the majority of horses, when provided with the opportunity, change. And they change for the better. Now, if there's an underlying problem, and I always tell people this, you know, if you have an acute problem, Surefoot's not going to solve that problem. But it can offer comfort during the resolution of that problem. And the reason I bring that one up is that laminitis is one of those situations where Surefoot isn't going to solve the laminitis. You have to do all the things you need to do to take care of that horse for whatever the cause is. But Surefoot can offer that relief to the horse in that process of recovery or in that acute phase. And so Surefoot can be used both to bring awareness and change longstanding old habits, to bring comfort, to bring relief, and to also, one of the really fascinating things for me is 
that it brings a sense of safety to the horses. And this is something, you know, this is my 81st webinar. It's hard to believe. Um, and I have lots of guests lined up for the next month. So we're going to keep going. Um, but we've talked about polyvagal theory. And polyvagal theory is a mammalian um, uh, issue, or not issue, but a mammalian thing, right? That we have a vagus nerve. It's the 10th cranial nerve. It has two sections, an older section and a newer section. And the newer part is part of what it requires is social interaction, to look around our world and see, am I safe? And so one of the things that we see with Surefoot is that it provides a medium for us to establish that the horse is safe and that we're there to provide a safety for the horse. Now, Sharon Wilsey has talked a lot about this when she talks about um, safety cones. And Sharon's gonna be back on Monday, so stay tuned, Monday at noon, Sharon Wilsey and Laura Wilsey will be back so we can talk more about this. But one of the things that Sharon talks about in her horse speak is the idea of a safety object, an object where the horse feels safe and can let down. And I didn't know about Sharon's safety objects when I was starting with Surefoot, but it became so obvious in listening to her that that is one of the things that the pads offer to the horse. That once they recognize that pad brings comfort, it also brings a sense of safety. And it's almost like we're standing there as witness to the fact that they're in a safe space and they can let down. Now, yesterday I had Lauren Harmon on and I haven't posted her webinar yet, but I'm working on it, I have to process it. Um, and she talked about all these sort of archetypal patterns that we need to have or that we see when we look at so many different modalities that we're now um, using with horses, whether that's cranial sacral, whether that's Rolfing, whether that's T-Touch, whether that's Masterson, whether that's Mary de Bono's work, all of these um, modalities have underlying basic uh, threads. And one of them is providing the horse with a sense of safety. The other is listening and observing, to be present with our horses in a way that we're not demanding of them, but we're listening and observing to see what they're showing us instead of us always telling them what to do. And um, another one is just the quiet presence that we need in order to increase our level of feel. So, one of the things in the Feldenkrais world, and again, is something that we hear a lot of, is do less. And when we do less, we increase our sensitivity level. There's something called the Fechner-Weber law, which is a really big name for something really simple. The Fechner-Weber law tells us that in order to increase our sensitivity, we need to reduce. So if I'm carrying 40 pounds of books and you put a half a pound on top of that 40 pounds of books, I won't notice a change because it's not significant enough to the load that I'm already carrying. In other words, if I'm already making a big effort, you're going to have to do something pretty significant for me to notice either an increase or decrease of that effort. But if I'm doing something very softly or quietly, say carrying a feather and a fly lands on that feather, my nervous system can perceive the change because of the ratio of 1 40th the weight of the feather. So our nervous system perceives change in ratio. And I would assume that that's also true in horses because our nervous systems are so similar. And so if we wanna perceive change, we have to calm things down. We have to reduce effort. 
we need to feel safe because when we're feeling threatened, we can't notice other things, you know, like right now, um, that's one of the things with the pandemic. If any of you have gone into a space where you see a bunch of people that you feel like are um, not having good practice, your nervous system immediately like is alarmed. And like, uh, for me at least, it's alarmed and it's like danger, danger. I need to leave here because this is not safe. They are not looking after my well-being. Well, we can take that in terms of how the horses perceive things. That if there's something that they walk into an environment, say a strange arena or a, a, you know, a new barn, and their nervous system is like, whoa, wait a second, I don't know if it's safe here. So they're not gonna be able to pay attention. They're not gonna be able to think. They're not gonna be able to learn just the way we are, are not able to do that. And so I think one of the things about this pandemic is it gives us a great opportunity to understand what our horses experience because we're reacting and responding in the same ways as the horse. We need to feel safe. If we're going to learn, we can't be worrying about danger. And then when we feel safe, do we feel like there's companionship, that there's someone there that's supporting me? And very often, you, you know, when I'm working with surefoot pants, I'll stand away from the horse, but I'll stand in a position of kind of keeping a lookout for everything so that horse can let down and again, this is something that Lauren talked about yesterday. It's it, bearing witness isn't quite the right word as much as I'm going to do the job of scanning the world and making sure you're okay so you can let down. And Sharon Wilsey also talks about this. So the beauty of these webinars, and that's kind of my point that I'm trying to get to, is that while we can't fully explain how Surefoot is working and what's happening, we can look at all these other different modalities and different scenarios and understanding of the nervous system, and we can equate it back to what we're seeing with surefoot pads. So that said, if anybody has any questions, like I said, pop it in the chat, and I'm gonna go over to my, um, uh, to my photos here. I'm gonna share my screen. Because one of the horses I wanna talk about is, um, I'm just gonna get some of this stuff out of the way, is Snip. And um, he's at Pasifino. And Snip has been one of the most interesting um, horses that I have had the privilege of working with using Surefoot. And Snip's mom has been amazing in her willingness to try and help this horse. So she bred Snip. Um, and this is Brenda. And this is, I think, the first time I met Snip. It was down in Florida, and it's actually been, um, I could probably find out, oh, yeah, five years ago. So this is a long-term uh, project, I would say, in the recovery of Snip. And when I met Brenda and Snip, he couldn't stand to be mounted. He was totally anxious. He grabbed at everything that he could. He was distracted. He was uh, erratic. He couldn't be ridden with other horses. She couldn't take him on trail rides. Um, basically, we would think of Snip as being a mess. And he had had um, an experience as a foal where he had an injury that at the time no one really thought was too serious. But in hindsight, and often that's when we kind of figure these things out, in hindsight, it turned out that most likely he had had his ribs broken in a field accident. Um, but at the time that wasn't discovered. And then when it was time for him to be saddled, he went to a trainer who did not recognize 
that there was something wrong. And so he wound up with a lot of trauma from this experience because, you know, I mean, to kind of piece the story together, we're putting a saddle around the rib cage. If there is a problem with the ribs and we're strapping a saddle and you're climbing on their back, that can be extremely painful and very distressing. And so he was a, a difficult horse. He, she brought him home and she brought him to me and asked if I could help. And what I want you to see here is this is Snip. He's actually yawning in this picture um, because the first time I met him, and I'm gonna see if I have some videos, we got an immediate response from this horse using surefoot pads. We got tremendous yawns and lick and chews, but it, it wasn't like a kind of a quick, it was definitely not a quick fix. This was a horse that has required years of using surefoot pads to make an improvement, along with a lot of other things like making sure his saddle fit and taking care of his feet and making sure his dental work is good and Brenda being incredibly patient with this horse and bringing him along slowly and not over facing him. Um, because while we saw an immediate response from SNP, as you can see here, right? We got blowing and licking and chewing and, and all the positive responses. It wasn't going to help the uh, sort of the deep trauma that he had that fast. It was going to take more time. And in fact, it's taken several years. Um, but we knew we could make a difference because of the responses that we saw with him. So one of the questions I get from people all the time about Surefoot is, well, how often do I need to do the pads and how long is it going to take to see a change? And it's all over the map. I mean, I literally have horses that one session, and that's Moon Pie, and you can go and see her before and after, and I use her a lot as an example. It was a thoroughbred that had Lyme disease and she was twisting her head. And we did one 40-minute session. She totally let that pattern go. She went back to the horse she was before the Lyme disease. She was perfect, walk, trot, and canter. And then SNP is kind of the other end of the spectrum that uh, I know that Brenda's still using the pads. I haven't seen him in the past year, but I know that three years later, we're still working with the pads and we're still working with the horse for long-term change. And this is where I think we need to understand a bit about the brain and the process. Oh, this is another horse. This is a little Morgan. Um, uh, let me just drop out of that for a second and see if I can find, here's more snip. Okay, so when I first met her, the issue that we really wanted to work on was mounting. And so how did we do that? We knew that the pads created the relaxation. We could see the licking and chewing and yawning. And so we started to use the pads next to the mounting block. Now, this did not solve it in one session. Um, Brenda had to figure out that she had to change the mounting block that she used because he had such an... Uh, and anxiety about the type of mounting blocks that she was using. But we were able to discover that using the pads. So you have your horses where one session, boom, you can get a change and the horse is great. And then on the other end, you have horses that with serious trauma or um, underlying issues are gonna take a long time. But the thing is that we can use the surefoot pads to keep creating that relaxation, to keep eliciting that positive response and to help these horses feel better and feel more relaxed. And here he is standing on two pads, right? And you can see that Brenda's on. 
Um, and we were able to accomplish that that day. <laughs> Sniff. Right. He's my poster child for yawns. Um, we got huge yawns out of him, right? And I'm just going to pause my screen here for a second. So I think one of the things that um, Surefoot is a piece of this puzzle, and especially for these horses that have PTSD or serious trauma in their past or training issues or ingrained patterns. And there's a great book by Norman Doge called The Brain's Way of Healing. And when we look at the brain, and that's where, you know, if you go back and watch Stephen Peter's webinars, um, you can get an insight into this. But when we look at the brain, there's so much similarity between the horse's brain and the human's brain. We both have a brainstem, and that brainstem is responsible for our heart and lungs, our digestion, our fight and flight. We, you know, people want to always say that we're the predator, but actually in many ways we're the prey because the scene behind me is the Maasai Mara. And I take people on horseback safari to Kenya. And believe me, when we get out there on horseback and we ride up on a lion, pretty soon the people are acting like prey and not predators. And we're the pink squishy thing without fur. Nicely marbled, by the way. So it really depends on the situation we're in. There's times when we're the one who's threatening, but there's many times when we're the one being threatened, whether that's by our own species or by another species. Um, and the same with horses. And yes, they're herbivores and we are omnivores or carnivores and some of us are vegetarians. But when we look at this from a mammalian perspective, which we all are, mammals, we have this vagus nerve, we have the similarity in our brain structures in that we both have a brain stem, we have a spinal cord, we have the 10th cranial nerve, that's the polyvagal theory, am I safe, that's our gut brain. Um, and then we have the motor cortex, which is about movement, it's sending messages to the body, we have a map of our body and our brain. We both have a cerebellum that stores patterns. And then when we get to the differences, it's because we have a larger neocortex or frontal lobe. Horses have a little bit, but not as much as us. And the way I look at that is, you know, I grew up on Dick Tracy and Star Trek, and I have an iWatch, so I can do my communication like Dick Tracy, and I have an iPhone, so that I can have my communicator like Star Trek. And I don't see the horses sitting out in the field, dreaming up, you know, creative things like that, and thinking about sci-fi and futures and alternate realities. So I think that's where we're different. But when we look at the similarities in terms of the brainstem, the motor cortex, the cerebellum, we're very, very similar. And so in this book by Norman Doge, The Braid's Way of Healing, he talks about change and how long it takes to um, lock in a change. And a lot of it has to do with when the trauma happened or how ingrained it is. And so he talks about that there's short-term changes. And like with SNP, we see immediate differences. We see licking and chewing, yawning, relaxation. Awesome. And we see that in many, many, many horses. And then we see short-term changes. You need to see the pads for a series of weeks or maybe a month and whatever that pattern is, whether that's falling through the shoulder or you know, falling forward, then it changes. Uh, in people, we can see the same thing. We can see short-term changes. You know, it's like 
say you hurt your ankle, um, you're walking funny for a little while, your ankle heals, you start to realize, oh, I don't need to limp anymore, oh, my ankle's fine, I can start moving it again, you let go of that pattern and you restore back to the original setting. Then we have intermediate change. Now we're looking at six months. And this is patterns that are a little more ingrained. Say you've had the habit a little longer, or for me, I, I had um, surgery a couple of years ago and it took me two years because they had to reattach uh, uh, medius, glute medius. It only had 25% of the tendon attached. So they put in two screws and stitched up into the tendon. And it's taken me two years to recover from that surgery. So, you know, that's a longer term. And then there's even longer. So depending on the insult to the system, the degree to which it's affected us, the amount of emotion, um, the amygdala, part of the hippocampus, part of our memory system, it's going to affect how long it takes both horses and people to reset the system, if you will, back to a more functional pattern. And so when we look at horses like SNP, and I'm gonna go back and share my screen again and we'll look at SNP. Um, that's what we saw with this horse that we saw immediate changes in this horse. We saw this in the very first session, right? This is another horse, so I'll just switch off. Um, I'll just move forward to find more snip. Um, but it took him years to sustain the change for longer periods of time. So this is at Snip's home, and this was the um, prototypes for the physiopads, so they look a little different. We were messing around with it. And here we have Snip standing on two full physio pads, right? And things are improving, right? And then he's standing on a paraform. And standing for this horse was really, really difficult that he would get moving and he couldn't stop. All right, we've got a question. Let me just see what's that. Um, okay, yeah, it's hot, isn't it? Um, and so, you know, but we kept getting the yawning. So we knew that we were on the right track with this horse in that we could get him into a more parasympathetic uh, environment. But what, one of the things that Brenda discovered was that infrequent use of pads was not enough. And she realized that she had to use the pads with this horse every single day. And so that's what she started to do. When he was in the barn aisle, she would use the pads with this horse every single day instead of infrequently or when I came up to do a clinic. And that was a significant change for this horse in his pattern, that the frequency had to be much greater than a lot of other horses, that he had to see the pads really quite often. I wonder, oh, I don't, um, that's his sister. I'll talk about her in a minute. Um, and so when you're, when you're trying to figure out how often you should use the pads, you need to start kind of looking at your horse and looking at what's happening with your horse and even keep a little bit of a diary. Like I do the pads twice a week and I, after the pads, my horse is better, he's more relaxed, his neck is down, he's calmer when I ride him. But by day three, wow, you know, I'm kind of losing that effect. He's starting to get a little more anxious. He's shying in the corner again. And so that's where you can start to work out the frequency for you and your horse. There's no formula. I wish there was. I seriously wish there was. I wish I could tell you, you know, start with firm, do that for a week, switch over to firm slants, do that for two weeks. But that's not how the horses change. It's not how we change. And it's, it's what we'd like as people 
to have a formula that tells us exactly how often and which pad. But that is the one thing about Surefoot that I think is actually an important point. And what Lauren was bringing out yesterday in her webinar, that we need to stop and be present and observe our horses and find that calm place where we can become quieter so that we can become more sensitive to start seeing the nuances in our horse, to start seeing the patterns that exist there that are really the, the subtle things that are either improving or changing or that we didn't notice that lead us along the path to improvement. And that um, I think a lot of times people have struggled to kind of see these more subtle changes and more subtle things. So I'd like to go to a video and um, and let's see where I had one in mind. Hopefully I'm not making you nauseous scrolling through my pictures. Might be, let me stop the share so I don't make you nauseous while I find the right video. Um, you know, one of the things for us is to, is about becoming better observers and Surefoot's really good at that because we start to see movement that might have been there before but was less obvious. I'm just gonna make that full. I'm gonna drop the sound out. So um, here's a thoroughbred, and as you can see, there's a worry eye, there's an alert ear, he's looking out the door, he has some concern, he's standing on a stacked at this point, a firm pad with a firm slant on top on the diagonal. Okay, I'm just going to play this a little bit, right? And so we can, this was, I, I remember this horse, he was a, a kind of, could be an anxious and kind of fractious horse, but let's just stop this for a second and I'm going to take it back because there's a lot of subtle little things happening in here, right? So we can see his concerned eye and we can see that he's not blinking and that his ears are alert to the environment outside of the arena. But if I bring it forward here, right there, we can see that he starts to sway. Right now, I'm, I'm gonna apologize for me, the camera person, because there's a bit of camera movement in here also, right? But if we watch the chest right there, watch, here's the midline. This is where looking at the sternum. Here's his pecs. We can see that the sternum is slightly angled. We can see that the Peck is slightly higher on the side with the pad underneath, but that basically they're about the same in texture and quality, right? And then if I drag this forward slowly, you see how the chest there, right? And the rib cage just rolls. So watch the rider, and I'll just take this back and forth a few times, and watch how the rider is rolled to the right. I'll take it back. You can see her go back to the left. I'm gonna take it forward. You can see how he's rolled his rib cage to the right and then bulged his rib cage and that occurs before he turns his head right and now we see that he turns his head and watch again watch oh right here watch this muscle activation in his left upper arm right right there you can see the twitching i'll just do that a couple times right so you can see he turns his head right there's muscle twitching there's a little bulge in his ribs. You can see his ribs bulge right here a little bit on the lower part on the left, right? 
Then his weight sways back over his left front as he picks up his right hind, right? Probably to kick it a fly. And then look where his right hind lands, way wide, right? And as he steps down on that, look at what the rear end does. It sways way over and look at how he rolls the rider. And then this huge movement here in the shoulder muscles, right? So if I just take that back, almost looks like he buckles his knee a little bit. Yeah, he does, right? And so if I play that backwards, it probably is even more obvious to you, but I'll do that a couple times. I'm gonna slowly play it forward, right hind, watch the shoulder, right? Big muscle, sway in the rib cage, rocks the rider way over to where the right hind now landed, right? Big movement in the shoulder muscles on the right shoulder. Then the head comes back and drops down. And this is where I'd love Sharon Wilsey's input, right? Because he scratches his right front, steps his left, right? Shifts his weight, steps off behind, steps off the pads and takes a look at him, right? So now I'm gonna play that in real time just so that you can train your eye to see all these little subtle things in real time. The rib cage sway, he looks, right? He sways back, right hind, steps wide, big twitch and shoulder, big twitch and shoulder, neck down, rubs his front foot, just takes that step, steps off, and then acknowledges it's kind of like he was maybe not paying attention and then we get a nice lick and chew. And so these are some of the things that um, when we can slow it down and take a video or when we're more present and observing, we can see these things. Now the question is, what do they mean? We have to look at it in context. We have to look at it in terms of, you know, what is the rider experiencing when they ride this horse? Um, in Snip's case, tremendous anxiety, tremendous lack of balance, tremendous insecurity, unable to go down the trail, unable to be, to walk, to walk. He couldn't go slow, um, unable to relax. And we could see the letdown that we got from him always, you know, that tremendous lick and chew, the, the gated horse I'm talking about, the letting the neck down. But we literally had to layer like tissue paper, uh, time after time after time after time, experience of being able to let down to get to parasympathetic, to relax, to chill, before we built up enough in his brain that he could start picking that as a choice so that he could choose calmness for himself instead of anxiety. This horse here, also an anxious horse, you can see that by his expression, and a, sort of a different response, a different scenario, a different type of horse, um, but we see an imbalance and we see that hind leg step. And so a lot of what I've really discovered with Surefoot is that um, the, the pads really help us discover the imbalances mentally, emotionally, and physically that lead to improvement. So um, let's see if this is, I think that's the same video. I'm gonna find another video. If you have any questions, please do put them in the chat um, and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. I'm kind of being a little more general today rather than kind of like specifically going through things. So I'll just check. Okay, you guys are just quietly sitting there watching. That's great. All right, so we're gonna look at another little gated horse. Um, she's super cute. Let me do a screen share here. This horse is actually related to Snip. Let me just jump the sound out. 
right? She's just on her first pad and we see the nice soft eye blinks, the nostril flare. I'll just do that again. In fact, I'll do it slowly. And I'll just drag it and we can see, right? There's our deep eye blink. And, they've, and look how deep it is. And they've associated eye blinks with relaxation, more so than cortisol levels and some other parameters. They're thinking that eye blinks tell us more, okay? We can see, look at the little turn in the head, right? And she's carrying her head over the foot that's on the pad, right? A nostril flare right there, right? Ear softening. So these are a lot of the signs that we see with horses on surefoot pads that tell us there's having an effect. See, how has the thoroughbred's performance changed on their saddle? He became much calmer, much more solid, much more grounded. Um, and I might be getting ahead of you, but when we buy pads, is there some? Oh yeah, so um, you can ask for the DVD, which is free, the instructional DVD that comes with the surefoot pads, or you can simply go up to my uh, YouTube channel, Surefoot Equine, where we have all the instructional videos, and then there's lots of webinars that tell you how to use the surefoot pads and give you lots of different scenarios. So like on every, well, normally it's Friday, but my guest needed Friday this week, so today on Thursday. But if you look at all the Friday webinars, um, that's me just talking about using surefoot pads. And I keep trying to look at different scenarios and different types of courses to give you a sort of a broad scope of, of how you can use surefoot and the different kind of horses that you can use surefoot with. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, the first question is, you know, how do I decide what pad I should get? And so very simply, if your horse is nervous, anxious, um, weak, recovering from something, um, is, has any anxiety issue, you start with hard. Um, if the horse is basically generally calm, you start with firm. And that's just really the place to start. It's just a pair of pads to just see how that's gonna work for your horse. The, the, the thing, again, that I wanna remind people is that it's really about giving your horse a voice. It's about allowing them to choose. It's not about like stuffing pads underneath and seeing if you can get to four feet. Getting to four, a pad under each foot to four feet is, is not required. It's not necessary. It's just that for some horses, that becomes a logical progression. Um, and if you join our Fans of Surefoot Facebook group, we have so many great people out there. You know, if you have a question, post your question. Um, someone will answer it, whether it's me or, or another fan. Um, that can answer your questions. Um, if you have a story about your horse on surefoot pads and the things that have happened, you can post that on the fans page. Um, uh, you can send videos, but I would tell you to put the video up on the fans page. You're gonna get way more input than if you just sent it to me and faster. So the fans page is just a great place. Um, what I really love is it's becoming a community where everybody's helping each other and can answer questions, right? And can offer suggestions because it's really a very organic system. Um, there's the basic guidelines, you know, the horse gets to vote, uh, keep your hand away from the hoof, that's safety, um, and let the horse walk off if the horse wants to, never force the horse to stay on the pads because if the horse moves off the pads, it's because they've lost balance, mentally, emotionally, or physically, right? We talk about the six Fs for why horses walk off. Um, and I, 
uh, my friend Robin Larson in Australia came up with four of them and then I added a couple because as soon as I got to Australia and I saw her working with the pads and the horse walked off I was like oh yeah I forgot about the flies in Australia really a lot of flies so flies food right if they think you have food in your pocket or they see somebody eating they might walk off the pads friends they might see their friends just like you and you're kind of talking to somebody oh hey what are you doing and walk off the pads uh, fright and that's the one to be most careful of um, sometimes the pads can be frightening to the horse and that's why you want to start always harder and move softer because if you start with a pad that's too soft and you scare them then you've you know you've lost some trust right so flies food friends fright follow and this one um, in Lauren's uh, talk yesterday um, it reminds me that a lot of times when I'm standing near a horse and they're on the pads and they're starting to let down if I step away too quickly they follow me I think of it as an in invisible um, umbilical cord and I have to be careful that I kind of gradually move away and kind of let that cord gently break so that I can step away because the horse is like oh you're leaving and then finally finished some horses you know they might stand on the pad for a second they might stand on it for 10 seconds they might stay on it for a minute um, but then they walk off and that is totally fine that's the point it's like gathering a packet of information and then returning to the earth to feel how that's like um, the caution is not to let your horse stay too long on the pads in the beginning and this is a big caution that i try to emphasize with everyone is my first horse it was 15 seconds um, you know a minute is a long time in the beginning what we need to do is see how they process that information. Um, do they, are they sore? Um, do they need to go just stand and just close their eyes and really kind of process that kind of chunk and integrate it? Um, and this is where Sharon Wilsey's horse speak work is so helpful because she can decode and encode the horse's body. And you can see like, you'll see an ear flick and then a, little twitch in the neck and then a tail flick. And it's like, okay, I've processed that piece of information. And now I can go for a walk and come back and stand on the pads again. So um, yeah, the feedback, it's like, it's, it's in, it, the quantity of time on the pads is not the important thing. The processing, the observation, the um, being good observers, getting in tune with our horses, uh, allowing them the chance to show us what works and being a good parent so what i mean by that is there are many horses that want to stay on the pads and they've been on there for three four minutes we need to think about how they're going to feel the next day we're going to need to think about you know are they going to be sore because they've been swaying like crazy which a lot of horses do um, and they're working new muscles muscles they haven't really used in that way before and so we have to be a good parent and say you know i know you're enjoying this but let's go for a walk or uh, you know maybe the session's 10 minutes so that you you can always come back and do it again it's really important not to be in a hurry to try and end goal it like i want to get my horse on four pads that's really not the point some horses never stand on four pads some horses only want one foot on a pad for a year um, it's so much about us being present with our horses observing them uh, noticing those different things not trying to uh, it, um, make up stories about it but make careful observations and then how do those observations fit in my known world in other words 
with that chestnut horse, we see that big muscle twitch in that shoulder. And then we have to think, well, how is his right leg canner? You know, or maybe he, ha he struggles with his left leg canner because the right hind goes wide. So comparing and contrasting um, observations, asking questions. Um, should you start with one or two? Well, all the pads come as a pair. And so you start with one foot and one pad. And um, let me just look, I have a couple other questions here. Um, have I found it beneficial to use the pads for laminitis? Absolutely, and horses with frequent abscesses. So with laminitis, we've definitely seen where Surefoot can be uh, very, very helpful, um, not only in just making the horse comfortable, but also in helping the horse reestablish good balance. Um, I worked with a horse this winter, and she had laminitis, and she, we put her on the firm slants, and she only wanted them under like one foot, and she kept pointing her right front. That was the worst foot. Um, but she would stand on the pads, and that's a case where we let her stay on the pads for an hour. And the reason being, she'd been on pads before, she was not swaying, she was just standing, and it was bringing her comfort. And so here's where we kind of break that rule of, you know, just a couple minutes. If they're standing really, really quietly, and you're in a situation with known pain like laminitis, and the horse is visibly relaxing, and again, not swaying, because we don't want them working those those muscles and becoming sore, we could let her stay longer. And she actually stood on the pads every night for about an hour. Um, and as we worked with the pads, she only wanted the slants, the firm slants, and we wound up with her on four slants and she became square. So, you know, I, I wish there was a magic formula that I could just tell you, here's, this is how you do it. And sadly, or maybe, maybe that's the thing, is that we have to really become better observers to, to see what's happening in front of us in the moment. Um, just wondering if there's a difference when, uh, oh, with um, Snip. So Snip would stand on pads without the rider. She would do that every day, tacking him up. And then um, she didn't always have somebody to help her when she was on. But I, when I would go up and work with her, we'd put him on pads and it helped him stand. I mean, literally this horse could not stand still. Um, and so we used the pads to, for him to realize he could stand still with a rider on. And some days were better than others, you know, it's not a straight line. Um, but the overall difference, and I have to kind of give you the conclusion to the sip, snip story, is that he's become a much calmer horse. He can ride out in public with other horses. He can walk on the trail. Um, he cannot handle somebody going past him at speed. No surprise there. So, but he could actually do a flat foot walk in the arena, he could stop, and um, he could listen. And it's been uh, just a, I have to give Brenda so much credit for really sticking with this horse and really working it through when so many people would have said this is beyond what they're willing to do. Um, because he, he's probably one of the most difficult horses that I've worked with in terms of being able to make that long-term change. And she's so dedicated to him. So my hat's off to her. Um, and it, it's also given, um, you know, me the, the ability to talk about a horse that didn't see an instant change. I mean, we saw an instant change and in that we saw the relaxation, but to be able to make the change in the habit patterns of the anxiety and the worry and the rushing and the franticness that this horse had, um, it's been huge. It's been really huge. Um, can, it, can you use them on horses with uh, spondylosis? So whenever there's a health issue, like 
spondylosis, the most important thing is that you talk to your vet and get a diagnosis from your vet and have a discussion with them about whether or not it's the right thing to do to use surefoot pads. Um, uh, there's also a great webinar by Dr. Sherry Johnson. It was pretty early on in the series, and she talked about rehabbing horses using surefoot pads, and she works with a lot of neurologic horses. Um, the thing is that without a good diagnosis and a treatment plan, my concern is that surefoot, surefoot's inappropriate. In other words, you need, you need that diagnosis. You need that conference with your vet. You need to have a team approach that's with your farrier and your vet and your you know, body worker. And look at whether or not Surefoot is gonna be a useful component in the treatment and recovery of this horse. In many, many cases, it is. Um, but you know, that's, I, can't, I can't diagnose and, and every situation's different and just working off one little data point of my horse has this. Um, like I said, with laminitis, we're alleviating discomfort. We're not solving the problem. You still need to treat the horse and deal with the cause and support the horse. And this is just one of the ways of supporting the horse. So I would just re highly recommend that you talk to your veterinarian and see if this is part of the treatment plan. We do have veterinarians prescribing Surefoot as part of the treatment plan. I know of a number of people that have come to me and said, my vet told me I need X, Y, and Z, and this is my treatment plan. So um, that, that's just really important. And um, just because you want the best outcome for your horse. All right, so I've got some other questions here. Let me just look. Um, I answered that one. Um, I answered that one. I answered that one. All right. Um, uh, calcified DDFT. Um, so when you have a calcification, I had a horse with a calcified uh, tendon and the farrier was trimming the foot and not thinking about the tendon and it caused a lot of problems. Um, you're not necessarily going to lose that calcification what you if it's old and it's set you might bring comfort to that horse i have had a horse where um he had what was it he had injured uh, a tendon or a ligament lower in his foot and when i started working with him it turned out that he had a very old injury in his shoulder and when i tripled the pads under that foot and alleviated the shoulder things got a whole lot better down below so with your older horses with something that's quite set i would say you know, always go to the, the easy foot, the foot the horse is willing to give you or the uninjured foot and start there and then see what happens because, uh, you know, you never know. And surefoot is just one component in the recovery of horses with things like uh, DDFT. It's in the Feldenkrais world, we look at, can we optimize the movement of the rest of the body to make up for the part that can't move? In other words, if you have a fusion um, and that part's not moving, if you get everything else moving well around it, you minimize the influence of that part. And so in that way, I would suggest that you think about Surefoot as helping the rest of the body move around that constraint, that restriction, so that you minimize its effect as opposed to thinking about, well, I'm gonna resolve this. Because some things, you know, if it's calcified, yes, the body's always remodeling, but I would look more at how can I support everything around it. Um, let's see. Um, 
what would you think about my horse wants only to play with the pads, bite and paw? However, it went very slow and one. Okay, so when you have a horse that's playing with the pads, uh, uh, be careful not to let them bite them um, and pawing at it. What that tells me is that that horse under, has an underlying um, tension issue or anxiety because when, when we look at a horse that's really okay, what do I mean by okay? Feels safe, homeostasis, at zero, relaxed in itself. Um, there was another word somebody used the other day that was really great, um, which wasn't homeostasis, but allostasis, like it. Um, they're calm. Horses are designed to conserve energy, right? So if they're pawing and messing around and biting and that sort of thing, they're not okay. And we have to recognize that. And the, the pads, and I've seen this with a number of horses actually, I call it fooling around. Robin Hood calls it domesticated flight. The horse is not okay and he's buster, cat coin. <laughs> um, and so they have this anxiety pattern. So the first thing I would tell you to do if he's pawing at it with his front foot, go to a back foot and see if that makes a difference. Um, I ignore a lot of the behavior because if I give attention to the behavior, it increases the behavior. So, uh, but to me what it says is that this, there's something about this horse that can't let down and just be, just relax. Um, so I would still work with the pads and I've done that many, many times, but again, I don't let them bite it. Um, if they're pawing at it, I minimize that because I won't, don't want them destroying my pads. But I keep looking for a foot that I can place it under. And it might take me a couple of days. I, um, it might take longer than that. But the bigger issue that I think you really want to pay attention to is that there's some level at which this horse is not okay in this environment. And so there's a tension and anxiety. Um, the sympathetic nervous system is, is agitated. And we, we tend to think of those horses as just misbehaving or disrespectful. But really, if we look at it from polyvagal theory, they're not feeling safe. What can we do to help those horses feel safe? And the pads may or may not be the thing at that moment. Oftentimes they will work. But again, I might go to a back foot and see if the horse will stand on the pad on the back foot. I might work in a round pen without a halter on um, or a more open environment or see if I um, go to a different place in the arena. Is he calmer there? How far away do I need to get from that horse before he can actually calm down? Like if I put him in a pen and I step outside the pen, can he relax there? Can he let down? And if not, that starts to lead me to ask these questions about why is this horse not feeling secure? Why is he not feeling safe? What do I need to do to provide him with that, what Sharon calls zero, that homeostasis, that calmness? And I would look into Sharon Woolsey's work um, because, and also if you watch the webinar I did on Monday with Lucinda Baker, so fascinating about coming from the horse's point of view and that she has this story about her horse where she tried everything and then finally she looked at her environment from the horse's point of view and realized that he was constantly having to check that he was safe. And the minute she acknowledged that for him, he changed after years, right? So it gives, it's um, something that we need to think about in terms of what are we missing that that horse isn't feeling secure and his way of expressing it is fooling around. 
Um, nasal discharge. Yeah, we've seen that nasal discharge. Um, all I can tell you is you got things moving probably in the sinuses. Um, you have to realize that there's a connection from the foot all the way up into the hyoid through the muscle systems in the sternum and the inside of the shoulder. And in the hyoid, we're really close to the sinuses and the ears. And um, yeah, that's not uncommon to see nasal discharge. All right, so let me just go back and let's look at uh, another horse. Where is it? <laughs> that's snip again. Hang on, I'll find it here. Oh yeah, here, this one. There's another gated horse. Today I would pick gated horses. Let's see if I got my screen share working. Do, do, do. Screen share. Another rather anxious, nervous, gated horse. We're on two pads. You can see that he's looking around, right? We get some licking and chewing. Notice how he's scanning his environment. Notice that he's really having to do the work. And this is years ago. Now I think knowing Sharon's work, I would probably do something to take that job for him so that I was keeping track of the environment so he didn't have to, so he could focus more inward. But they're still feeling the pad, that even though they're scanning the environment like this, they're still experiencing the pad. So now I'm gonna slow this down. Okay, and notice right here, when I slow it down, that we have a shift in the rib cage and watch how the rider's right leg, the one on this side, is lower than the left leg, meaning that the whole saddle now is rotated a bit and we can see that if we look at his sternum, you can see the difference in the pec muscles on the two sides. So he's, had his, he's turned his head and now look, he's turned even more. There's our lick and chew, which we might've missed, right? Here's his head swinging back. So what, you know, what I, why I'm pointing this out is when you're on an unstable surface, it, it enhances things, right? We get to see more. And now look at how, as he brings his head back, look at the slight angle of the head and then the neck drops. And it doesn't matter, as you can see, whether or not he's standing perfectly square on the pads. And here we can see he's clearly bringing his head down in line with his left front, right? And then as his head comes back up, an interesting angle to the head, right? Nose pointing to that left front, ears slightly tilted. Her feet have become a bit more level. Head is not in the middle, right? Now look at how he's got the head looking to the right, but it's still to the left. In other words, the whole weight of the head is still over the left front, but he's now starting to organize his head to the right. Right now, he starts to look and see how he shifts his weight. And did you see how I'll play this back? He swings his rear end to look right, he swings his whole rib cage to look to the right. Right, we got a little lick and chew. Right now, he starts to shift his weight, and he started to shift it to the right front, right there. There you can see his weight shifting. And then he shifts his weight left front, and then there's a big wiggle in the rib cage. And now look at how her feet are the opposite of what we saw before. So he's now rotated his rib cage so that it's down on the left, and that's shifted the saddle. And she's doing her best to try and stay in the middle, right? Okay. She reassures him. 
right? He shifts his weight to the right again, and then left and right. And so now he's shifting his weight back and forth. Her feet are still on level. His rib cage is still rotated. So he turns his head and look at how far over he rotates that rib cage. So I'll play it in real time so that you can see that now in real time. Right? So here he is looking left, neck down, turns his head, rotates his rib cage, rotates it even more. And so these are some of the things that we can observe while on pads. And what does that mean? That means, you know, if you take your right rein and the horse rotates his rib cage to the left, he's not standing squarely on all four feet. The weight of the body is going left as we're trying to turn right. We can start to understand now why this horse might have difficulty making a nice circle to the right or staying square on all four feet or picking up, you know, the gate if he's not in the middle. And we tend to not really recognize just how much this rib cage can move and how important it is that we develop the strength for the horse to maintain a stable rib cage lifted up underneath the rider. But when we have a horse, you know, if you take your right rein and he's going to throw his rib cage that far to the left, not only is it going to throw you off, but momentum, you know, you add momentum, you add weight, you add movement, we can start to explain, wow, why is this horse a nervous horse? Why is he an anxious horse? Because all of this stuff is going on and he's not staying balanced over his four feet. And so these are some of the things when I talk about, you know, we're not trying to make up stories, but we are trying to be better observers. That when we start to look at horses on pads, it's not just simply looking at them to see, oh, they lick and chew and let their head down. That's fabulous, it's wonderful. The relaxation is super important. But then we can start to gather information and clues about the movement of this horse, the way he's going to move under the weight of the rider, the ease he's gonna have of carrying a rider, the, the training problems that we might experience. So Surefoot can act as this magnifying glass to make things more obvious so that we can do something about them. Because if you don't know what's happening, you can't do anything about it. And I think that's one of the uh, lovely things that Surefoot gives us the opportunity is to become detectives, become better observers, start to make sense of our world. Not just say that, oh, my horse, he always blows through the shoulder. He always, he won't pick up his lead. He's just making my life miserable. He does it because he wants to make my life hard. It's not the case. Balance is premium for horses. Stability, security, groundedness, feeling safe. And when they're out of balance, they're going to have to behave in ways that we think are negative. And they're simply trying to tell us that they need help with their balance, that they're not grounded. And so, you know, that's one of the beauties of Surefoot. One of the things that it can offer us is this opportunity to look deeper, to start understanding these patterns, to start seeing things, because then we can do something about it. We can work on our strengthening exercises. We can do our stretches. We can work them over poles. We can do a myriad of things, but if we don't know what the underlying thing is that we're addressing, it's, it's kind of scattershot. So um, we've come to the end of the hour. Does anybody have any more questions for me? Um, I'm happy to answer them. If not, I'll bring this webinar to a close. And so if you do have pads, here's your challenge and you can post it on the, on the fans page, is go out, put your horse on a couple of pads, take a video, take it in slow motion if you got an iPhone, slow it down, make observations, take some notes, 
and then post it on the fans page and share that with us the observations that maybe you missed the first time or now you start to see and that'll help you with your horses and of course it's always important to enjoy yourself and enjoy your horses and um yep thanks and tomorrow my guest is marie mcateer we're going to talk about working equitation and the importance of calmness in doing working equitation so stay tuned it'll be at one o'clock eastern daylight time and we'll see you all later thanks for joining me bye <laughs>